Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Back in 2013, in the New York Times, essayist Christy Wampole declared that we are in a moment of the essayification of everything. She noted how not only the genre, the essay, but also the genre's inventor, Michel de Montaigne, seemed to be popping up everywhere, and she saw the essay as a talisman of our times. Why? What about the essay struck her as so current, so important? Wampole thought that the genre and its spirit provide an alternative to the dogmatic thinking that dominates much of social and political life in contemporary America. The essay is the opposite of the rant, the polemic, the clickbait, the crude headline, and the stupid soundbite. The essay invites complexity, contradiction, nuance, all of those qualities that mark the real experience of our public and private lives. Essays want to reckon with the rich immensity that is in us, and is us. Now, if you're like me and feel despair about the degree of dogmatic thinking that now dominates our social and political life in 2017, if you hate the fact that, say, a hastily composed tweet by a recently elected official can clog our public debate and prevent us from addressing issues that demand attention to complexity, contradiction, and nuance, then I encourage you to check out a new collection of essays edited by Marsha Aldrich. It's entitled Waveform, 21st Century Essays by Women, and includes many of the best essayists in America. In essays by Cheryl Strayed, Roxane Gay, Dana Tomasino, and Aldrich herself, the essay achieves its fullest potential, as Wampole described it in 2013. The essay's spirit, she proclaimed, resists close-ended, hierarchical thinking, and encourages both writer and reader to postpone their verdict on life. It is an invitation to maintain the elasticity of mind and to get comfortable with the world's inherent ambivalence. And, most importantly, it is an imaginative rehearsal of what isn't but could be. Marsha Aldridge, welcome to the New Books Network. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here this morning. Oh, it's just a pleasure to be able to speak with you. And um, and you have this new anthology that you've put together that I'm looking forward to speaking about. It's called Waveform 21st Century Essays <laughs> by Women. Um, you bring a lot of rich history as an editor to this process. And I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about your background as a writer. Um, I also know you've done some, some rich editorial work, some groundbreaking things. Um, so tell us a little bit about the, the, the person who comes to this project. Um, well, I'd say I have a very varied background. <laughs> um, I guess I think of myself as being a writer an editor, a teacher, and a little bit of a scholar, too. Um, I started out at the University of Washington uh, in poetry and uh, received uh, my MA in poetry writing and then went on for the PhD and specializing in modern poetry. Um, There was no such thing as creative nonfiction 
or nonfiction. You were either in the poetry uh, side or the fiction side in terms of creative writing. So I'm really sort of self-taught in the sense of what I know about the essay and memoir and all different aspects of creative nonfiction. Um, Started out um, as a poet and a scholar of poetry, and uh, but my own writing changed. And really the writing that I was doing, um, which I didn't know what to call, was kind of unclassified, uh, veering over into prose and veering over into essay, uh, changed the course of my career. Um, and that doesn't always happen for people. And I was lucky uh, to be in an institution that was happy to accommodate some of the changes um, that I was going through and became involved in creative writing. But I didn't start in creative writing um, at Michigan State University. Um, And I became involved in um, being the advisor for the undergraduate uh, creative writing uh, specialization and the Red Cedar Review, which is the oldest uh, undergraduate uh, creative writing journal in the nation, and became interested in editing uh, and became involved uh, in being the editor for Genre, uh, which Mike Steinberg uh, started at Michigan State and then retired from. So, you know, things happened. And I was able to just call upon uh, whatever expertises I had and bring them to bear, I think, in uh, editing projects, of which Waveform is sort of the culmination of something that probably started a long time ago in the back of my head. I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit, for, for listeners that might not know, about this this genre that you migrated toward. I mean, you know, uh, you mentioned fourth genre. You mentioned creative nonfiction. Um, th- mm-hmm. These aren't genres that are as familiar as poetry and drama and fiction. Um, so, so what was it about your own journey that somehow the poem wasn't containing the material, and you found yourself pushing into this new this new domain? Uh, well, that is absolutely correct. Um, I worked with a poet a Welsh poet by the name of Leslie Norris at the University of Washington uh, doing an independent study. And he said to me, um, I think you are going to write prose. Uh, He thought it would be fiction. He said, I think you're just, you know, knocking against the walls of your own poetry. And I thought, no, no, no. I'm always going to be a poet. No, I I really had a very strong image of myself as a poet. Um, But in fact, he was prescient and saw something in my work. And I became uh, very frustrated with my own sense of the boundaries of poetic decorum. And when I say that, I don't mean that there weren't other poets who perhaps were breaking through, um, but I wasn't. And the only way that I managed that was to allow myself to just improvise, 
and stop thinking about whether it was a poem or not. And these really explosions of prose sort of came came out of me uh, that had been building up and resulted in the uh, my first book, Girl Rearing. Um, many of those pieces uh, were improvisations um, on a letter of the alphabet. Um, the first one was P, and um, which ended up not being in the book. But <clears throat> I did have to kind of give myself some freedom, a license for freedom, but I didn't know what I was doing. And I didn't know what to call it and was sort of stunned when um, one of the first pieces I wrote, Hair, was selected in the best American essays at the time as an exemplary example of the classic essay. (laughs) Really, I had no idea um, that I was I had fallen into the essay. And maybe it's because. Um, the essay really is a very natural form. Um, we, I absorbed it without studying it. I simply think I absorbed it from reading, you know, the New Yorker, uh, editorials, who knows what all had uh, been building up in me that allowed me to do this. Um, but I do think it's an extension of some of the poetic training I had. I, I want to touch back on something you said about the, the essay as being a very natural form. And in, in this case, it's it's something you kind of naturally fell into. You wake up one day and you find yourself in the, the best American essays. And lo and behold, I am an essayist. There, there's, I think, another way to think about the essay, the the lowly essay that sometimes doesn't get celebrated in the way it should, which is, you know, if you look at the, the history of poetry, it's a genre that that's very interested in artifice. You see it, it you know, primarily uh, or, or most explicitly in the formal kinds of poems from the sonnet to the villanelle or something like that. And then, of course, fiction has its own structures and dynamics. Um, but the essays always sort of naturally accommodated the way we think and the way we feel. It seems to be a genre that's interested in, in how it is that human beings actually operate rather than structures that they build to create beauty or, or something like that. Yeah, um, although in waveform and, and as an essayist, once I became a more serious uh, essayist and memoirist and thinking about the genre and the field, um, I became interested in its ability or its flexibility um, and lending itself to innovation to formal innovation, to experimentation, while all along feeling as if it was the form for me that's closest to my flesh, um, that comes most naturally to me uh, and almost feels as if I'm speaking to someone, explaining myself to someone. But I don't think that precludes artifice, um, or precludes uh, conscious uh, artistic experimentation. I think they're compatible. But for me, um, they come together. They work. They're not incompatible the way they were in poetry or pressing upon each other. They work together best for me 
in the essay. Well, tell us about about the title Waveform as as a way into this anthology, because I think mm-hmm. your, your title tries to capture um, many of the things you were just articulating. Yeah, um, I am a poet at heart, and um, so I think in th- in terms of images uh, and concept concepts that are embodied in images, and so from from really the get go. I had an image of, oh, uh, perhaps one of those Japanese woodcuts um, where you see a wave being caught. You know, it's on the rise, but you see waves coming behind it. Um, And that was really uh, the catalyst for me, this sense that women's essay writing had been growing, It had been developing, even if we hadn't noticed it or been paying enough attention, perhaps, to what uh, women were doing with the form. But they were, and there was sort of uh, an energy and a momentum that I wanted to capture in the title, that women were influencing other women, uh, sort of encouraging and inspiring other women, and so even if the book could only include 30 essayists. I wanted to give the sense that, you know, behind, beside, underneath, everywhere, uh, there are essayists as powerful and as promising as the ones that are in this book. Um, So I wanted to get that sense um, of a movement and maybe also echoes of feminism, um, waves of feminism, uh, I wanted that not to be explicit, but to be sort of implicitly woven into into that. Um, so some those were some of my ideas. Uh, yeah, I, I think that it's very interesting what the S, what the anthology is is not. Um, and just to make more clear what I'm saying, you know, it's not 21st century essays by women about women in celebration of women. It's it's. It's much more concise, right? That it's it's not an anthology that's staking a clear ideological territory or something like that. It's not thematically driven. You were interested in, in capturing something, I think, both more exciting and more subtle. Um, I was very committed to not doing a thematic collection. Um, or the theme of the collection is, I suppose, more subtle and less marketable. Um, I found out, which was the achievement of women, the array of uh, forms that women are inhabiting and creating in the essay. Um, That was my hook. (laughs) Um, And that was not commercially viable, interestingly enough. Um, People in commercial publishing really want something uh, that is thematically driven. And I didn't want to do that. And I didn't want to do it for a lot of different reasons. Um, I wanted to give, uh, let's see how to, how to put this. I think women's collections, whether it be poetry or essays or fiction, often are justified and organized around some sort of recognizable or familiar theme. I think women poets have certainly 
struggle with this. Uh, when you study uh, modernism, for instance, the way women were often uh, relegated to certain kinds of thematic material and poetry and and had trouble embracing it, struggling with it. Uh, where, uh, you know, where did it, did it, um, was it condescending in some ways or taming them or domesticating them? Um, so um, I didn't want to do that. And I wanted to give all the women writers um, a free range in what they wrote about and let the subject matter fall where it was. I thought that that would be surprising and interesting um, because you can't check your gender at the door. So I knew that uh, gender would play a role, but it would not be a dictated one or an explicit one. It would be a surprising one that sort of percolated up through each writer's individuality. So, so tell us what's exciting about the idea of thinking about form as an organizing principle. I mean, if, if you can't get Madison Avenue and the commercial presses to get on board with that, what is it that those of us that care about literature can, can find in that, that drive, the, that attention to form that will excite us and bring us forward into these essays? Um, well, that's really the question. Um, and I, I guess I, I want to not mis, um, misrepresent myself as being uninterested in subject matter, because I certainly am interested in subject matter. And readers are always going to be interested in subject matter. Um, I simply didn't want to prioritize that as my organizing principle for this collection. I wanted uh, to sort of relocate the interest in thinking about essays as being idiosyncratic sort of instruments or vehicles in which the rhythms um, and the colors and the stylistic choices that the writers made in order to realize the subject matter took priority. Uh, I think part of that comes from different interests of mine. One is a teacher um, who teaches a lot of creative writing workshops. I don't teach subject matter. I teach form. (laughs) Students have the freedom to write about whatever it is they want to write about. I don't dictate what they write about. They may have prompts that are pretty open-ended to help trigger their writing, but the form that they take is really what the writing class is interested in. So I always want a book, uh, a textbook, readers, um, writing samples, for students to see a lot of formal approaches to subject matter. Um, And I thought of this book in the classroom, not only in the classroom, but I do see it as playing as having a role in the classroom where you can study a spectrum of of, uh, styles um, and pay attention to what those choices and strategies and effects 
um, mean and also what you're attracted to as a writer, what speaks to you as a writer that might help advance your own your own writing. Um, and then I think, again, perhaps because coming from this, from a poetic background, you know, <laughs> yeah, I'm interested in villanelles and sonnets and um, free verse and prose poetry. I'm interested in those sorts of formal categories and the work that they do. So I think I brought that to the essay as well. So when you think about the the collection of the essay, what kinds of formal adventures do you imagine the readers of it, you know, what do they get to have? What's going to excite them um, when they encounter it? Because you can imagine, you know, a listener that might not have a, a familiarity with the 21st century essay thinking, well, you know, the essay, it's it's a pretty straightforward genre. You introduce a topic, you develop it, maybe you have a thesis. Um Form is anything but that in the anthology. So, so what can we expect to encounter? Um, well, first of all, I didn't organize the anthology alphabetically. Um, I came up with my own sort of wave of organization. Um, I tried to put essays next to each other to create certain kinds of, oh, I don't know, rhythms uh, that went outside the essays themselves and to imagine sort of the surprise of entering one essay, reading it, and then entering another. Because I do think each of these essays represents, uh, for the moment, for the moment you're reading, uh, a sort of world um, and you enter it, and I wanted it to be uh, surprising and a ride, a ride to do that across the time. So I was also looking at trying to represent as much of the spectrum of what I see being published and written um, in our literary world right now. So I'll take perhaps uh, maybe the most surprising essay in the book formally, uh, which is Tori Peters' um, Transgender Day, Transgender Remembrance Day, a found essay. Um, I love this essay. Um, I have way too much to say about this essay, but I think perhaps, again, the... Um, the concept of the found poem or the found art object that Tori takes and applies to the essay and assembles, um, selects from these documents recording the deaths of various transgender people in the course of a year and the way she selects and organizes material. She doesn't write it herself, but the writer as an organizer, as a selector, and the power of, of putting that together and the repetitions and the building of it. It's a devastating essay. I've taught it twice in both classes. We've read it out loud. It's long. It's much longer than Brevity's word limit, um, which is 750 words. Tori's essay is way, way over that. And when you read it out loud, it, it's unrelenting. 
and you go through various peaks and valleys um, when you hear it. And I taught it both in undergraduate introductory level classes. And while the form might seem difficult or you wonder what's going on, uh, my classes of very young students, this was their favorite essay both semesters. Um, And I think it is very accessible, it's visceral, it's emotional, but yet it's formally inventive. Uh, So that's an example, I think, of what I'm talking about, of thinking about the way form represents the content um, best. Um, So that's one one example. Um, I started with Cheryl Stray's um, sort of signature essay um, from Tiny Beautiful Things, because, again, it really interests me that she took um, sort of this old, reliable, familiar, and not very exciting uh, form of the advice column and answering a letter and takes this epistolary form and this advice this uh, advice column and turns it really into an invitation to write a memoir in the form of a letter or to write a memoiristic essay that's directed to someone and sort of um, makes explicit the relationship between the writer and the reader in essay form. Um, it's, it seems like a very straightforward essay. It seems easy but so hard to do. I mean, that's one of the accomplishments, I think, about Cheryl Stray's work, is she makes everything look easy and natural. Try it. (laughs) (laughs) That's absolutely true. It's the the hardest thing in the world is to appear completely natural, you know, when you're you're doing something that is a constructed work of artifice, right? To make it seem as though it's just plain speech, as though it were just being said. It's it's a tremendously difficult thing to accomplish. It is. And uh, again, I uh, tried in my classes, um, and I, I can't remember if Philip was, um, you know, your student now in that class, but we did an exercise based on the advice column where we wrote a letter in response to um, someone asking for help or asking for advice and tried to turn it into an essay, into a personal essay that both answered the question uh, and, the, and took into account the, writer, uh, the, the person who had written us while still turning it into sort of a, an essay that could stand on its own. And we found it to be plenty tough. I'll just say that, including myself. I did it with my class. It was very hard. Well, I am, I am sure that, that another difficult challenge was to pick 30 essays out of the abundance that you had mentioned earlier that's out there by contemporary women writers. Can you tell us a little bit about about the behind-the-scenes construction of this piece, of this anthology, kind of the selection process, how you chose what you chose, who you invited the, the, to write original works. Um, I think we've all encountered anthologies, but it would be very interesting to hear you know, from someone who's made them how they get done. It's an excellent question. I know they're a labor um, of love. <laughs> it is a labor of love. Um, I also... Um, 
think I perhaps would do it a little differently if I was doing it again. Uh, because it was my first time, um, I'm not sure I saw how to go about it efficiently. <laughs> um, and it wasn't like editing a journal, which was the experience I had going into this. Um, editing for genre, I didn't really recruit essays. For the most part, I was dependent upon the submissions I received. And for genre had a tradition of working with the submissions that came through the door rather than going out and, you know, recruiting essays from our friends, uh, for instance, or, um, you know, we, we didn't aggressively recruit. Um, and that was its philosophy. Um, and I worked with that, except that I was very discouraged, and this does have some bearing on waveform, in the lack of submissions we received from writers of color. Our submission pool was um, was really just not diverse enough, and it did not give me the um, latitude to curate issues that I thought uh, were as representative as I wanted them to be. They were very representative in terms of gender. Uh, for Genre did an excellent job, I think, in publishing lots of women. In fact, perhaps more women than men. Um, and I know that to be the case. But um, so I had a certain sort of sensitivity and commitment and motivation that Waveform really needed to do a better job. And to do that, I was going to have to recruit. I was going to have to go out um, and strenuously look for writers um, whose voice and identity uh, were going to be more representative of the field. Um, and I did do that. Um, I didn't get all of the writers, uh, you know, you know, some some writers uh, didn't have any work. Some writers just um, were too busy. Um, so, you know, I, I didn't have a complete 100% track record uh, in getting all of the writers I might have wished to have. Um, and I think that's probably par for the course. Uh, but I did get a great many writers that I admire. And I, um, I wanted to have both well-known writers and writers who I think are excellent, who perhaps are not as well-known. Um, I didn't want it to just be sort of the star system anthology. Um, I wanted a mixture and I wanted readers to see that there are so many writers who are not well-known, who are you know, who should be well-known, who should be better known. So I, I wanted that kind of mixture. Um, and I think that there's about an equal number of reprints with new material. And that's exciting. I think that was, uh, was a balance that I was aiming for. Uh, but it's hard to get writers to give you new work or to write new work for you, for the book. Um, and I was happy to get as much as I as I did. I, I don't know if that 
answers your question. It does indeed. There's a, I don't know, I'm having some sort of cognitive dissonance. And when I I think about all the the writers, whether they're on social media or whether there are pieces that come out about, um, you know, endless slush pile anxiety or, or submission rejection and, and all kinds of things. And then to think, you know, here you are extending this invitation. Um, and that isn't something that, that writers would be embracing. So I, I think that's, that's where I was a little bit like, hmm, it's funny to me that here you are creating this magnificent opportunity to, to bring together a collection of essays. And here are all these writers out there saying, it's, it's so tough. I'm so tired. I'm so worn down by the process. And, and yet still, it's not as easy as one would think. Well, uh, you know, I, I, um, I perhaps I made a mistake in not deciding from the get-go to just go get reprints. Um, perhaps if I had approached all the writers um, and said, I'd like to reprint, you know, this is the essay of yours that I admire so much, and I'd like to have it in my anthology. Would you be willing to do that? Um Perhaps I would have had more success, but I approached some writers and asked them to do new work uh, because I, I didn't want it to be all reprints. Um, And that was partly because I started this project and I should, should mention this with Jill Talbot. Um, It came about through conversations with her and she was, thoroughly committed to new work. She thought there was something stale and unexciting if you and, and, and not something she wanted to do to simply put together, to just assemble the best hits from the last 10 years or 15 years. She thought there needed to be new work, new excitement. Um, and we embarked. That's how we, we started uh, she and I, by putting together a huge list of writers we were going to contact, uh, which we did, uh, inviting them to submit um, new work. And that was our first gambit. Unfortunately, Jill uh, departed from the project because it coincided with a time in her life when she was looking for a job. She had a temporary job in New Mexico. And things were not going very well. She was on, you know, it was an arduous and stressful time that she was looking for a job. And it was just too much work and too much anxiety to be taking on this project. And I ended up going on by myself. It, it's it's hard to explain to people who, who see a finished product like this. Oh, look, there are 30 essays. How fun it must have been to assemble it. How much work actually goes in to, to putting something like this together. It's one of those amazing things where once you have the finished project, you think, ah, how nice, how beautiful that I'll get to sit down for a few days and enjoy these essays. And it, it's hard to imagine the, the years and the time and the correspondence and the editorial work and the proofing that goes on behind the scenes to put that book in your hand. Nobody could tell you. Because <laughs> you <laughs> wouldn't do it then. <laughs> You really wouldn't because, you know, you're in charge of getting everyone's addresses. You know, I mean, some of what you do after after the book has been accepted is an awful lot of grunt work. 
um, housekeeping, uh, making sure that you've got everyone's contact information and their addresses. And if they've moved, updating it. And the proofing was a nightmare. I'll just say that. The proofing of 30 essayists um, and our current system of track changes and all that sort of stuff and various people not being able to handle the programming and stuff. It, it was a nightmare. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. You don't have to make any apologies. I, I, the, 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 um, the process is just so arduous and labor intensive. Luckily, the result is is beautiful and surprising from essay to essay. And, and I did notice energy moving across essays. Um, and I like the fact often essays will feel kind of like a hodgepodge of, of occasional pieces, the anthologies, I'm sorry, the, in which they appear that come together. But here there was a real momentum um, as you moved. And I think a sense of attention to, to even things like length and, and formal variation that, that allowed both for for reflection for me as a reader, but also a kind of re-energizing. You know, the, a long piece would be followed by a short lyrical essay that would kind of change the gear for me. And um, and I, I think that's a different experience that I've often had in anthologies that are organized by, you know, alphabetical order of the author or something like that, or, or even the ones that are jumbled together by form in some way or, or theme mm-hmm. where it starts to feel a little laborious. Like here's another essay on home or here's another essay on travel. And you think, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to pop around. And, and this one, that energy you caught in, in the organization of it. I hope, I hope that's true. Um, and I hope I'm glad to hear that you noticed that because um, frankly, I don't think people notice those things. Um, You know, my first book, nobody, absolutely nobody noticed that every letter of the alphabet was included in the book. It it wasn't in alphabetical order, but I had very consciously included an essay for every letter of the alphabet and not a single, single reviewer noticed that, which I found disheartening, I'll tell you. I I really did. Um, And in this instance, I'm waiting to see if anyone notices that the book opens and closes with a letter. Well, I I think that it might be worth... (laughs) You told us which essay opens it. Would you tell us which one closes it? Mine. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Which is a letter to my daughter. And... I, again, I really saw the book opening with this letter to a, uh, a reader seeking wisdom uh, from Cheryl Stray and closing with this implicit epistolary form of the letter, of the essay as a letter to my daughter. Um, and it was very conscious on my part. It was something I thought about. And I built the book. Um, to get to that final essay and to begin to go back to that final essay. Um, And I do think that there is a momentum. There are certain sorts of like groups of essays that I think build. Um, And I particularly like the way the book ends, the essays that mount towards the conclusion. But I don't know if anyone will notice that. So 
<laughs> well, I, I think the, the, the strange thing is we can never predict how readers will respond and what they take away and, you know, what connections they make. I, I've often found that the best we can do is give them something as rich as possible mm-hmm. and, and kind of offer it up and, and hope that, that they encounter, you know, something that, that brings them to light. The nice thing about the epistolary form as you use it. Um, is that it's very invitational, right? It, it explicitly invites the reader into the project of the essay, mm-hmm. and so therefore into the book and into the exit of the book. Oh, well, thank you. Please, you should have put that in my introduction. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I hadn't thought of that, uh, saying it that way, but that that's quite right. And, you know, I assumed, because this is how it should be, is some readers will not like everything in the book. Um uh, that is part of the course. It's part of my expectations that there will be essays that some readers like much more than others. Um, and that sh- is how it should be. I've been happily surprised that the reviewers so far have picked different essays. Uh, the first review picked all the big hitters, you know, the recognizable Leslie Jameson, Cheryl Stray. Um, Eula Biss, and they're great essayists, and they're great essays in the book. Uh, Subsequently, I've been interested in uh, Dana Tomasino's essay, which um, I think is stunning, a bit of writing, and uh, I've been really happy for her that that essay um, was uh, Bird Breath Twin Synonym, I think an excellent example of what the lyric essay can do um, has been chosen, has been singled out, as well as um, a few other less well-known writers. Um, yeah, I think one of the, the things that makes this anthology easy to recommend is that it's it's 30 introductions to writers that readers might not have encountered in other forums, especially if they aren't up on what's going on in literary nonfiction. And so there are writers that maybe even people in this world have, have not encountered. Um, Dana Tomasino is just so talented. And, and so there is this way in which each of these essays can lead to a body of work um, that the writer is producing elsewhere. Yeah. And I think, uh, my son um, was texting me. He, I gave him the book for Christmas, and he was on. He was traveling, and he was texting me um, lines he liked and images he liked uh, so far. And he picked on Puddling by Jericho Parms um, as a particularly wonderful essay. Now, my son is not a literary person in any kind of trained way. He wasn't an English major. He was a science major. Um, And yet, uh, so there's, you know, perhaps we sometimes think that people need to be trained in literary studies in order to appreciate formally innovative essays. But, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily think that's true. I think a lot of these essays that are formally innovative are also very accessible. Yes, so. I, think, I think if the if the form is working, then it should feel organic and, mm-hmm. and just welcoming, um, mm-hmm. which is not to say that it can't be difficult. Difficulty is good. Well, now that you have finished this 
this labor of love. What are you on to as a writer? What what are you currently working on? If you wouldn't mind sharing that with us. Uh, no, I'd love to. I, I wish I was uh, more focused. Um, I started writing a memoir called Haze uh, a couple of years ago. And I have about 200 pages written. And I haven't, I just... I, I'll say I abandoned it. I don't know that I made a decision to abandon it, but I did. I abandoned it, and I'm looking forward to picking it up again, uh, which will be difficult because I haven't written in it. I haven't written anything new uh, since um, I moved. Um, I think the last writing I did was last winter. In it, I've published two pieces. From it, two tastes of it. One was in uh, the normal school last spring, um, and the essay was called "Float." And then this fall, um, another bit of it was published in uh, American Literary History called "Houses of Detention." Um, and I really am sort of desperate uh, to get back into it. Um, it's a straightforward uh, memoir. Um, but on the same token, I'm also working on a book called Tiny Shipwreck <laughs> um, that's fragmentary uh, and more experimental and is more essayistic. So I'm sort of spread between those two things. Um, I just had an essay come out in the Kenyon Review online called uh, The Rejection it just, I don't know, was it last week? And that was gratifying uh, to remind me that I'm still writing essays. Um, and it, it got picked up by, um, oh gosh, long reads um, as a recommendation. So it seems to be being picked up by some other websites, uh, literary websites and getting a fair amount of reading play, which is a lot, you know, a, a great, uh, a great honor. And you can't, you can't make that happen. Well, Just, we, you have to write something. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, well, yes, exactly. It's the kind of thing that suddenly a piece bubbles up and you have the pleasure of reading that. So I just wanted to encourage listeners to, to pop your name into Google and it'll come right up. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's like the ideal scenario for me as a writer is I write something, uh, I'm somewhat satisfied with it, I send it out, it gets published in a place that is fairly well read, then other people read it, it gets distributed, you know, it, it, that's how it ideally should work. Uh, it doesn't always, but it's a happy, happy occurrence. So I'm pretty busy um, with all different kinds of projects of my own right now. Well, we will wish you every bit of luck with them. And uh, Marsha Aldrich, thank you so much for being on the New Books Network. Thank you. I apologize for my cold, impaired voice. But uh, thank you so much, Eric. My name is Eric LeMay, and you've been listening to an interview with Marsha Aldrich, editor of Waveform, 21st Century Essays by Women on the New Books Network.